0: Athletes and friends, welcome to the Woven Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and this is my co-host.
1: What's up, everyone? It's Stevie.
0: And we are here to champion the athlete's mental game before, during, and after their athletic careers and performances. So let's jump in. Kelsey, so nice to finally have you on the podcast with us. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here ever since we spoke on the phone. I've been looking forward to this and just been thinking about how awesome, what well, Matthew <laughs> is and how I can't wait to be involved. So thank you. Uh,
0: yes. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank totally. So yep. We, uh, gosh, it took a while for us to finally get here, man. We were, <laughs> I had like just finished a camp today <laughs> with my kids. And uh, you know, I have two kids that are little and so summer is like a whole different ball game. Oh to,
1: my gosh. Of which if you see either of us just like randomly leave the conversation it's probably because <laughs> our kids are trying to kill each other or something I don't know totally
2: fine I get it I don't have little ones of my own yet but I taught preschool for six years so like oh. I get it. Uh, get it totally fine
0: yeah <laughs> uh, oh my gosh man how's your summer going so far
2: it's good. Um, I'm in Santa Clarita and it gets so hot. Oh cold.
1: my god! I
2: mean, yeah. it gets like in the hundreds and it's there. So training has been Ugh. a whole other thing right. because of the heat. Um, so Ugh. it's been good, but I'm I'm ready for it to cool down. Just just a tad would be um, nice. I'm laughing yeah.
0: because yeah, I we're we have family in Northern California and we usually drive and mm. take five all the way up and uh we drive right past Magic Mountain every single time. We're always like, man, yeah. this place yeah. is rad. It looks hot out there. I thing we have AC in the car right now.
2: <laughs> it's miserable. It is absolutely miserable. Um, But I mean, if you ever stop at Six Flags, definitely go to Hurricane Harbor in the summer and then come say hi to me. <laughs> oh my there goodness. There you go. Oh now goodness. we know.
0: Yeah. Now, now, you know. Now. now we know.
2: So yeah. what does that look like
1: for training? Because you do, well, how about you just tell us a little more about yourself and what you do and all that kind of stuff? Because I was just thinking training, you said training's hard. So in my mind, I immediately think like running and stuff like that in the heat, because you could train in a gym. Typically gyms have AC, right? Well, depending on what gym you go to,
0: but (laughs) Some are outdoors. Some are just some are
1: like up garage, roll, roll
0: garage <laughs> door. <laughs> Good luck there.
2: Got quite a few of those roll-up garage door gyms out here in Santa Cruz. Uh, luckily, I don't I don't go to one of those. Uh, my gym is air conditioned, but yes, training is in running. So I do competitive obstacle course racing. Um, yeah. I do Spartan races, doing DECAs, I've done a high rocks before. Um mm-hmm. I used to do testing for American Ninja Warrior, which is kind of how I got into Spartan racing. Um, But training wise, running outside in the heat is what I was um, talking about when I said training. (laughs) Oh, my God. So do you just go
1: early in the morning then? Or do you take it as like, this is part of training?
2: I want to say, yes, I go early in the morning. So I just left an incredibly toxic job that made me wake up at 5 a.m. every day. So now that I don't have that job, I like still get up early, but 738 and like Santa Clarita, it's already 80 degrees by that time. So to beat the heat, I'd have to be up at four or five and just kind of deal with it because when we race, we're outside most of the time. So Mm -hmm. might as well get used to the outdoor climate that happens out here.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. my goodness. Kelsey, you're so like we, you know, we have our woven athlete account and we follow you. And it's huh. always just so fun to watch your training. You're always doing something interesting, challenging, but like walk us through a day in the life let's go through a day in the life with Kelsey.
2: Oh, I love that. I love (laughs) it so much. A day in the life. So I wake up. Um, I like, I have my first hour of quiet. So I wake up, I drink my coffee and it's always been like a life goal of mine to get to a point where I could have a career that I wake up and have an hour of quiet in the morning with my coffee outside. And that's my go-to.
0: Can can I ask, how do you like your coffee? This is not like, no one's going to judge you here. Okay. This is very,
2: very... (laughs) you can judge me. My, my coffee (laughs) Has been very, um, it's been a journey to say the least. I used to pour all of that, like, uh, the creamers with all the fake stuff in it. I have moved to black coffee with coconut sugar and it has taken me like three or four years to get there, but I'm there now and I'm pretty proud of myself. That's
1: that's, You should be. That's, I have not gotten there. I am past all the like fake artificial creamer stuff. I I can't, I can't do it. I'd rather just not do coffee, um, which is brutal.
2: That's <laughs> hard. That's a big
1: block. Okay. I can't do that.
0: Pour over. Let's go all no. day, every day. That's my, that's my gang right there. The pour over gang, yo.
2: Can't do it. Can't do it. Spacy, it. There is a hack though. There is a hack. If you like the creamer, I also have in my fridge at all times, the, I think it's own the protein shakes or vanilla. And I yes. used to, that in my coffee as creamer so you're getting a little bit of protein and it tastes like the vanilla creamer but there's none of the bad stuff in it
1: Interesting. Okay. okay so i usually good. do organic half and half and just pure maple syrup
0: maple syrup oh yeah. yum yeah. yeah i
1: don't know how healthy the little, the little that is a little frother
0: little yeah, frother mixture. she's she's good to go. okay sorry we interrupted you so we start the day off Oh, yes. Or yes, yeah. coffee. Yeah. My,
2: my coffee hour first. And then recently I've been training in the morning. So I transitioned from training at night to training in the mornings. And I love it. Um, so go to the gym, usually around 830, train with my coach and a couple of my teammates at the gym. Um, after that, come home, get ready to see clients. And then I start to see clients usually four to five clients a day i like to cut it off around four ish because to take care of other people's mental health you got to take care of yours first put on your life vest before somebody else's and i can't hold for hours and hours um then i like to relax and i've been watching a lot of gray's anatomy lately i gotta admit it i'm ashamed (laughs) to say it but i have
0: (laughs) i'm just gonna expose i'm gonna expose stevie on this podcast right now she had a crush on gray's anatomy I uh, I
1: did I mean yes probably over a decade ago but I did Avery oh Oh, yeah I mean right (laughs) yeah Um, what was his first name or
2: Jackson Avery yes so I watched it this is my first time so I'm going through the whole thing I think I'm on like season nine and I started oh
1: so you you've experienced Jackson Avery already
2: Oh, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) anatomy has me sobbing on my couch like multiple times a week at least. And it's it's sad. I live alone. So I'm just sitting here sobbing on my couch. (laughs) And then I go to bed and that's my day. (laughs) Super good for your mental health. Just sobbing. Anatomy. It's great. I don't know. None of my clients, if you're listening, don't do that. Do as I <laughs> say, not as I do. Um, don't go to bed sad. Go to bed in a good mood. Oh my <laughs> gosh.
1: Don't go to bed sad. Go to bed
0: glad. You know what? <laughs> if you enjoy it though, and it triggers those emotions, right? It's a,
2: it's um an emotional release. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you gotta be in touch with your emotions. If you're not in touch with your emotions, then we've got something to work on there. So at least I'm in touch with those emotions.
0: nice So Gray's anatomy, is that like the like afternoon after you're done right away like or do you are you like in the day in the life are you like that's my evening routine dinner yeah
2: um usually I'll because I meal prep so I'll have my dinner after my last client usually around like mm, five or six um I go to bed like nine o'clock ish usually so my evening routine starts at like 5 36 oh, nice. um r- usually some mobility work while I'm watching Grey's Anatomy yeah, and then yeah. last that's hour is like just laying on the couch doing nothing and giving myself permission to not feel guilty about just laying and doing nothing.
1: Good, good
0: mm. for you. Yeah, that's important. Wow, yeah. I like it. I like a day in the life with Kelsey. It's pretty good. Thank,
2: Thank
1: you. I love that giving your perm, giving yourself permission to just lay and do nothing. I think as athletes, <laughs> it's so difficult. It can be so easy to just be like, I got to do, 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 do. If even like you said, like. Well, if I'm going to watch TV, then I'm going to do mobility and I'm going to do stretching, which is absolutely important. You yes. need to be doing mobility and stretching and all the things for recovery. But even just doing nothing is so <laughs> important. It gives your body a chance to rest. It gives your brain a chance to rest. I was telling, who was it? Was it, was I talking to you? Um, Maybe I was talking to you. I, I last week. So I work Wednesdays. I don't, um, is my day off during the week. So I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and I think it was the last week I had, it was the first time. And I don't know how long that I had nothing planned on Wednesday. Like usually it's, <laughs> I know she's touching her chest for people. who can't <laughs> <break up today. laughs> So usually I have something that I have to do, right? It's I have to make a play date with the kids that I already booked before or I have a doctor's appointment I have to take them to or I have to do this that or whatever it was the first time we had no plans at all and the kids and by sleep in I mean like seven seven fifteen is sleeping in for us so (laughs) it's like I slept in and I was like I feel so good that I don't have to rush out to do anything and so We were getting ready slowly and we ate slowly and then I was going to take the kids to the beach. But then my nephew randomly popped by and he was having some things going on in his life that he ended up just opening up to us. So then we just took time to talk with him about it. And then (laughs) and then eventually by like lunchtime, we were on our way to the beach and it felt so good to just like, Mm -hmm. ah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to give yourself permission to just
0: relax relax. Yeah, to have
1: that time
2: too. It's
0: definitely a lost art in a vast society we live in.
2: It's really hard. Uh, I talked to this, I talk about this a lot with my clients, this idea of like rest days, even my non-athlete clients feel a lot of guilt for taking time for themselves and putting themselves first and taking those rest days. And so I I always tell them, find somebody that you look up to, find a coach that you work with closely, me as your therapist, whomever, your friend, and ask them to give you permission to take that day off. Because sometimes Mm. you have to hear it from somebody else to say, it's okay. If you can't do that for yourself yet, that's fine. Have somebody else tell you until we build that resiliency and you can tell yourself to take that day off so find yeah. something tell them to tell you to take the day off and all of a sudden it just kind of shifts that perspective and and you'll feel better about it
0: absolutely I love that. yeah a little I love recovery that. there's nothing wrong with that mentally yeah. and physically we like recovery because yes. then we just perform better the next time like yeah. that's, that's something you gotta yeah. always remember <laughs> yeah. like rest rest if it's you know productive rest is productive like it sounds pretty like simple and silly yeah. but
1: Oh uh-huh. well, yeah, I think as athletes it's so easy to to train, train, train. We have things to to train for. We have goals we want to set. We need to get faster in this. We need to get sharper in this. We need to get stronger in that. Downhill running needs to be quicker. Uphill running needs to be quicker. Whatever it is. But I think oftentimes we forget that rest and recovery is part of training. Mm-hmm. It just yeah. looks different, but it's a, a crucial part of the Epsom salt bath and the rolling out and the sleep and the just sitting there and letting your muscles recover. Mm-hmm.
2: yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. My coach used to hammer into my head. And now I say it all the time is you don't get better by training you get better by recovering from your training so then you can train harder next time if you don't give yourself that time to recover your muscles don't have that chance and you're not going to be better if you just train every single day all of the time Mm -hmm. you're not going to see the the growth and the speed development or whatever it is that you're working on as Mm -hmm. quickly as you would if you gave yourself that time to recover i agree i
0: am so good i'm coaching um, track and field and cross country at a school down here and we're in summer training you know it's not mandatory but recommended um but one of the things i was talking to with another guy who's alumni in cross country was the idea of um just not overdoing it over summer for the sake of having you know a fresh mindset going into the fall Mm -hmm. for the cross country season um i think in our zeal and our zest for the sport like we don't want we don't want to peak before it's time It's good to build your way up into it, and uh, and so coaching this summer, I've been really trying to just be graceful and like, yeah, you know, you didn't feel like running today. Well, if you go out and do something easy, or you need a rest, it's okay. Like we're 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 okay with rest today. Um, We know that once a week we're trying to aim for a quality workout, and on the weekend we are aiming for a long run together so we can grow as a team. Um, And anything else you want to add in there, you're free to contact me, and we can talk about a workout. But, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes like I'm a firm believer that if we train too hard too early, um, or we train too hard in general, like, like I've talked about this before in the podcast, but you never want to take, take away from tomorrow's training. And, and it's really easy to do that. Um, and you feel worse about yourself when you do that. (laughs) You're like, dang, man, like I didn't run as fast or I didn't feel good or my body hurts Mm -hmm. and you got all these aches and stuff. So, Yeah. Yeah.
1: That makes me think of of Glenn Race. I'm not sure if you know who Glenn Race is. He's a professional Spartan racer and he's a friend of Nick and I's. And I was listening on one of my runs in the last couple of months to his podcast. He was interviewed by um Running Public. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about I think this is actually a couple of months ago now, but he ran a super quick 5k race the uh, carlsbad 5000 so they're talking to him about it because he's in his 40s so he got i think he placed in masters i can't remember where but anyways he's fast he's fast and they were talking to him about training and he's huge on the 80 20 rule right you uh run or you train light 80 percent of the time 20 percent is like hard dedicated time and so Glenn is very, very fast, but he will, re- you'll see on Strava, he'll regularly go out and run at like a nine 30, 10 something pace for his runs. You'll see all the time. And I remember listening to him on the podcast and he was saying, he was talking about that and they responded to him. They're like, so you, which they're, they're a believer of that rule too, but they're, they were saying you go so often, um, you take your off days or your like mild days. So uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? You take it so seriously mm-hmm. that it gives you excitement for the hard days. So I think what happens is so many times we overtrain. So then we dread the days where we have to go really hard because you're just tired mm-hmm. where he'll go. He's still getting volume in, but he's just going a lot easier so that when it's time to go hard, he's looking forward to it because his body's like, ah, give me something, give me something. <laughs> and then he could go hard instead of being like, oh, yeah, this is going to hurt. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. It's kind
0: yeah. of weird.
2: <laughs> I'm
0: not going to lie. That's me right now.
2: And that, I mean, that right there speaks to the connection between the body and the brain and like athletics and mental health right there. If you train too hard, you're not looking forward to it. You're not enjoying it. You're exhausted. Your body's exhausted. So you're not going to be excited. You're not going to be in a good mental space to do the hard days. It goes hand in hand, no matter what sport you're doing, no matter what it is that you're training for, you have to know that the, the, I don't know what word I'm looking for, the connection between the brain and the body. Because if you don't believe in it, it, you're not going to find yourself excelling if you ignore one versus the other.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. So you
1: keep saying clients. Now we know what you do, but why don't you explain to um, our listeners just so they are, is it coaching clients? Like, what do you, I know you kind of mentioned what you did, but maybe just go a little bit in that. Absolutely.
2: Um, Um, I am an associate marriage and family therapist, so I'm a therapist is really what I usually just say. That's just my full big fun little title there. Um, but I'm a, I'm a mental health therapist. I work with all types of clients. I definitely specialize in working with athletes and I also work with young women, um, two groups of people I feel very passionate about. Um, and I take a very holistic approach working with my clients. So I do a lot of somatic therapy. So again, brain, body connection, emotional focused therapy, attachment based stuff. And I'm also trained in brain spotting, which I find extremely beneficial working with athletes um, because it's really getting in on um, that brain body connection and, and working through traumas.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Can I, do? You, were you going to
1: ask something or can I ask
0: something? Go for it.
1: What is brain spotting? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe i have maybe it's called something else sure.
2: <laughs> no it, it's newer so it's not as spoken about as like emdr i'm sure you've heard of emdr no. and Everybody and their mother knows about emdr yep. now um so it's along the same lines with a little bit of a of a shift i personally feel it's it's a bit Uh, quicker of treatment. Um, EMDR is also a little bit more intense, although I will say brain spotting can be intense. So um, I have my little spot, my thing next to me, I can show you, they won't be able to see it, but it's my pointer. Um, So what brain spotting does is it, believes that our trauma memories, whether that be a physical trauma memory, a like something traumatic happened to you, um, uppercase T or lowercase T traumas, um, mm. they are stored in our subcortical brain. So it's like way deep in there mm. and regular talk therapy accesses that prefrontal cortex most of the time. So mm. a lot of the times when clients come in and they're in talk therapy for years, but they feel like they're not quite feeling better for some reason, it's because they may not be accessing really where those memories are stored and they're not able to get past it or heal from the things that happened to them. So what brain spotting does is we use our pointer and we access a place and the therapist is trained to find this place in the visual cortex. So when they're looking, so I would have my pointer and I would say, follow my pointer and I'd look for something very specific. And once we hit that spot, that spot connects to that subcortical brain. We hold that spot during therapy. And what we do at that point is we allow the brain to do what it's naturally meant to do, which is heal. Once we hit that place and it's it's amazing and it sounds very woo woo and I know that and I used to be, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. I don't think I, I don't know, but I did the training and I fell in love because it really does help. And, and some people, they process it quietly. I have completely silent sessions with some of my clients once they're on that spot. It just overcomes them. Sometimes they have feelings in the body. Sometimes they'll be crying, laughing, whatever it is, because the brain is doing that healing. And sometimes we process and talk together. And we have a regular just talk therapy session while we hold that spot. Um it's it's incredible. I've seen lots and lots of progress with clients by utilizing that brain spotting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very, wow. Cap very-
0: I like capital T and lowercase T trauma yeah. because yes. like I don't know. There the capital T is definitely going to be the more like that's a little more intense I mm-hmm. would say probably but the smaller T's are like you can't just like walk past those right like Absolutely. how how like what's the difference can you break down the difference between capital T and lowercase T traumas
2: Absolutely so capital T trauma I like to think of um horrible stuff school shootings um mm-hmm really bad car accidents mm. uh veterans that are coming back that have ptsd capital t trauma big things that have mm. happened that somebody would look at and go wow that was a traumatic instance mm-hmm. Lowercase t traumas i think of them as like Something your mom said to you years ago that you have never been able to move past. Mm -hmm. Somebody said something horrible to you walking down the street and that has stuck with you for a very long time. You got in a horrible argument with your friends, something that to you is traumatic, but to somebody else who might have gone through that same thing, it didn't stick with them as a trauma. That to me is a lowercase T trauma. It's still important, but we wouldn't put it in the category of PTSD or a big something life altering, but it's still trauma because the brain doesn't really see those differences. It is trauma no matter what.
0: Yeah.
2: I've heard,
1: I've heard, and tell me what you think of this. I may be butchering it, but another way I've heard of it is like capital T trauma is like you, like, like a gouge, like a big, big cut. Right. And, but little, which is obviously, um, impairing and painful, but then lowercase T trauma is like a thousand little paper cuts where it's like, you're just like, Oh, there's a little cut that hurt. But then you get those over and over and over again, and it can be debil- debilitating.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: what do yeah. What are your thoughts on, I may be butchering it, but.
2: No, I think it's a beautiful way to put it. And it, it goes to that same thing. Even if you look at it in a way of that big gouge is something somebody else can see. They can yeah. walk up to you and go, wow, that person, they got a huge cut on their arm. A bunch of tiny paper cuts, somebody may not be able to see that, but you're going to feel it. You're going to know that you have a thousand paper cuts, but yeah. somebody may not see that. And so it's the exact same thing. It really is something that you can see, you recognize in, internally on your own versus a, big capital T trauma that somebody else can identify and say, wow, that is traumatic. And mm-hmm. they would identify that being trauma as
0: well. Yeah. That's good. Oh, my goodness, really? man. Yeah. Um. So I was curious as to, um. there's a lot of things we want to, I, I think we might need a part one and part two of this because
2: <laughs> <I came. laughs> I'm
0: like, I want to, I want to talk to you as you know, the athlete that you are mm-hmm. and I know you have a story, but I also like, I want to talk to you as a therapist. Yeah. Like, how do we just like, do we do it all at once? I mean, that's going to be a long one, but uh, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling like, which way do we go with this one? (laughs) What are you thinking? (laughs) I
1: don't know. I mean, we could, yeah, we could do part one, part two, and it could be part one is getting to know Kelsey. What's your story? What got you in athletics? What got you to being a therapist? And then part two could be like, give us all the goodies to help athletes. I know I've mentally.
0: got like a, I've got a <laughs> list here. I kind of want to like Kelsey. I you know you know on woman athlete we like to get to know the people, and just by looking at their page and you've had some I I saw some pretty awesome stuff about your journey. So I think I think like sharing how you developed this passion for psychology and therapy, uh, and how sports kind of played in that together is is huge. Um we will obviously bring in the real and more psychological stuff and athletic performance in there. But yeah. like, it, it's cool to be able to like, draw the timeline back to like, how this became a thing. Um, yeah. We were like, you and I have talked already, but I'm
2: space, like, loud helicopter just
0: we flying. me in the hood, baby. Um, <laughs>
2: I get it. I live next to a hospital. So usually there's like a um, siren going by all the
0: time. My yeah.
1: clients are like, are you okay? I promise. <laughs> I, like, I promise.
2: I'm I promise
0: yeah. I'm um, but uh, I just remember us initially talking through Instagram and then calling. But like, I, you got me excited by how excited you were about woven athlete. Cause you were like, Oh my gosh, af- mental health and athletic performance. What? I was yes. Like- <laughs> so the fact that we're having the conversation now is just from that. Um, But let's let's go through, um, you know, how you got to where you are today in the field, like, um, what, where did it all begin? And what was the story and how it kind of moved towards psychology for you?
2: Yeah, so it it's an interesting story because they all it's all woven together. Um, and I don't use, yeah, to, I use <laughs> like a play on words there, but it it worked naturally, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. But it, does, it all it all weaves together for me. So I like I said earlier, I was a preschool teacher. I was a preschool teacher for six ish years, really five years. I was an assistant director for one, um, and in about. would say it was 2017, I ended up getting really, really sick. So I had always wanted to be a teacher. That was my thing. I was living my dream, doing exactly what I wanted to do and ended up just starting to get really sick. Um, Chronic stomach illness runs in my family. Uh, My dad has Crohn's disease. My uncle has ulcerative colitis. It kind of just runs in the family. So I started feeling horrible, uh, nauseous every day, horrible stomach pain, and ended up really in the ER, maybe five, six times in a year, naturopathic Mm. doctors, holistic doctors, every test you can imagine, every prod, blood test, x-ray, exploratory, everything. And every single doctor told me, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. You're fine. We don't know why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. We can't diagnose you with anything. And Mm. so living that life really was, extremely traumatic, again, like probably a lowercase T for some people and uppercase T for me, but lowercase T for other people. Um, and at that point I had to stop working. So I worked extremely part-time because I was depressed. I got really anxious. I couldn't leave my house. I became agoraphobic because I was so afraid to leave and then start to feel sick. Um, I was, down to about, I think at one point I was 92 pounds, just not eating protein shakes all the time to get any nutrients in that I could. Um, and at that point realized, okay, this is not it's not working for me anymore. You kind of get past that point of self pity for a while. And then you're in, uh, I have to do something about this. So it was at that time that I decided maybe I'll go into therapy and see a therapist for the first time. I used to be somebody who was like therapy is for people who are weak. I'm not weak. I don't need that therapy. You know, growing up, we live in a society where when you say you're going to go to therapy, something huge has to be wrong. And it's this big which i'm trying to dispel now but
0: well, yeah yes,
2: i think it's
1: its way to being dispelled with this generation which i think is
0: but we we, we, we got work to do we
1: got oh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yes but you're right it is changing and there is a shift that is happening and I, i'm glad to see it um definitely with the younger generation that's coming in it's more accepted um but i joined uh Or I didn't join. I started going to therapy for the first time um, just to be able to function, to help with the depression, help with the anxiety. And funny enough, at that same time, I joined a gym for the first time in my life because my therapist suggested it may be good for me to get out of the house and, and, exercise is proven to help with anxiety. It's proven to help elevate mood, help depression. And I didn't want to go. I was sick. I didn't feel good. I didn't want to go exercise. I was never an athlete growing up. So this was something way out of my comfort zone, but I did it. And I started going to therapy and I started to feel better. And I was going to the gym and I started to feel better there too, and started putting on weight. Um, And it was in the gym that, my now friend, I didn't know him at the time, came up to me and my personal trainer. He did American Ninja Warrior and he said, hey, you should come do this with us. And I said, you're crazy. I'm not touching any of that. I'm not dealing with any of that. You guys are insane. And he wouldn't let up. So eventually I gave in and went and tried it once with them, they had a little obstacle course set up and I did it and I fell in love with it. I was trash, I know, looking back, (laughs) there's there's no way that I was good at, I think I climbed a rope maybe 10 feet up and I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. little Kelsey had no idea what she was in for. But looking back, it changed my life. So I started training with them down in Santa Monica every single Sunday out in Ninja Beach. Uh, We were always out there, always training, eventually got asked to be a tester for the show, started testing on the show, working for the show. And that is what introduced me to Spartan Racing. And here I am now. But During that time, I was in therapy, I was working on myself, my mental game, um, being able to leave my house without feeling super agoraphobic and the anxiety started to go away, the depression started to fade, the more athletic I got the better I felt so everything played a piece together. The mental health and the athleticism came at the same time. And it was during that time that I decided to go back to school and become a therapist because of how my therapist changed my life. I always loved psychology. It was always something I was super interested in, but I took the route of wanting to be a special education teacher. And I didn't think that it was going to be a therapy route of the love of psychology, but it, but it changed. It absolutely changed. And so when COVID hit, I had, Just re enrolled um, to go back to school to finish my bachelor's in psychology. So I finished my bachelor's and my master's in psychology all in lockdown, essentially, um, and ended up becoming a therapist. And throughout my time in school, I realized. Not only do I want to be a therapist, but I want to be a therapist that works with other athletes. Um, And I kind of found my niche, but it all played together. It wasn't just I'm going to be a therapist and I happen to also be an athlete. Both of those identities came at the same time for me, Um, Mm -hmm. why I'm so passionate about both.
0: Oh, man. Wow. You're talking and when you're talking, I'm going like, I can't be an athlete without wanting to focus on therapy, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're like it's. It's both. And for me, I can't live yeah. without one, without the other, like
2: they're the same thing. I don't see a difference in them. Um, even to this day. I mean, I'm a therapist and I have a therapist and I talk to her all the time about my, my athletic stuff. And and I believe that if you're going to be a therapist, you need a therapist. If you're going to be a coach, you need a coach, like all of that. Good yeah. stuff. It's still to this day as important as it was to me, the first day I walked through an office to be a, a client in a therapy office. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I love that so much.
0: Yeah, it'll. Uh, I um, you know, I was a pastor for ten years, and so I loved working with people. Um, and then athleticism was always something that, like, it just couldn't. I couldn't escape it. And so, um, as soon as I stepped away from doing that full time, <clears throat> full time, <laughs> as soon as I stepped away from doing that full time, you know, like this idea of psychology. Um, it just started to arise. I was a business major with biblical studies. And then all of a sudden, like, I just, I just love people. I love their, their minds. And I love, you know, looking at, I always look at people's like, I think what really triggered a lot of this with Woven is like looking at people's post-race interviews and just watching how people react to their performances. Some are positive, some are negative, some are, um, it's all, there's so many variables to how um, athletes accept their performance, accept others. Um, talk it. You know, you see the self-talk, like right yes. in front of you. Yeah. You're like, oh man, that would be a good therapy session just by reading this yeah. reflection, or just by seeing the expression on their face when asked, yeah. "How did you think it went?" Yes. You know, they might even lie through their teeth. Oh, I'm pretty good today. Um, you know, <laughs> you're like, wait a second, hold on there's some gold there. We got to stop and take a minute on Mm -hmm. that and just kind of evaluate the situation here.
1: And I think that's, sorry, what were you going to say? No, no, please go ahead. I was going to say, I think part of the issue is people don't stop and listen, Mm -mm. right? Like some people just, they ask the questions for the stereotypical interview questions, but I think we need to have a paradigm shift in what, the purpose of the questions are. Yeah, I'm intrigued to know how the race went, but I also want to know like, no, how did the race go? Right. Like I don't just want the surface level. I think now on like a real level, Mm -hmm. how are you doing mid-race and how are you doing post-race? And oftentimes even how were you doing pre-race as well? Or performance or championship game or fill in the blank, whatever the sport is.
2: It all goes hand in hand. I think post race is is just as important as pre race. You know, what what were you thinking the night before? How did you picture the end of your race? Did you picture yourself crossing the finish line and smiling? Or were you panicking about crossing the finish line and being disappointed in in your race because you're Mm -hmm. worried about losing? You're Mm -hmm. gonna that's gonna become a reality. When you think those things, you're putting them out and you're you're gonna Do it. That's what's going to happen. So playing with that mentality, even before you cross that start line is going to be a huge key factor. And it's an arc. I mean, that's a that's a whole mental game that you have to work on um, as an athlete, even myself, when I first started doing competitive Spartan racing back in 2019, I mean, I would picture myself being sad when I would cross the finish line. And that's what happened. I was upset because I didn't place where I wanted to. And I had to work with my coach really closely on working on that mental game and therapy and being able to to change that. And now in 2023, it's very different, but it just, it takes time and practice and training in the same way, again, that you train your body. You've gotta train that mind and pay attention to those things and have those real conversations with people who are gonna listen to you after you raise people who care about you, not just putting a microphone in your face and saying, how was that race? And then walking to the next athlete and, and talking to them, like, no, how are you doing? And Mm -hmm. having a safe space to have athletes actually speak about how they're feeling when they finish a race, win, lose, finish doesn't matter. How did you do? How do you feel now? Um, How can we support you in that?
0: Mm -hmm. I, uh, I hate to steal this question from a part two, but I have to ask (laughs) if, (laughs) um because this is this is this is big to me um why can some people share what they're going through better than others and I know Stevie like you you know Enneagram certification Mm -hmm. there's people have different motivations behind everything you can probably lean into that too but Mm -hmm. why are some people why can some people share what they're going through better than other people can like what's what's the you know Enneagram to therapist what are Mm -hmm. we dealing with here
1: (laughs) yeah I don't know Mm -hmm. if you have an answer. You can go first Mm -hmm. if you want. It's
2: such an interesting question because there is so much individuality that comes into play there. Um, What immediately comes to mind for me is kind of practice and being in touch with those feelings because Mm. some people have... Grown up in either a household, they're a product of their product of their environment where you don't talk about your feelings. You push yeah. that shit down. Sorry, you push that stuff down. Yeah, I don't it's fine. Fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Push it down. You yeah. don't talk about it. And so that's a new skill for you. You don't know how to be in touch with your feelings. You are yeah. that is not a thing that you even know. We don't do that. Yeah. And so oh. at like the therapist brain in me is like, how do we teach a person to First, get in touch with their feelings, and then they'll be better about having those conversations. I think everybody has the ability; it's just a matter of flexing that muscle and getting used to being able to talk about those things.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I was thinking from like I'm. A, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, but I'm an. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I
0: love so it. So I, I'm seven wing idiot. eight, seven wing eight. Thank you.
1: You <laughs> also have a very strong six wing, but. Oh my gosh. <laughs> say it yourself. You're like, I'm tapping into my six
0: right now. It's like good. <laughs> it. That's
2: I it. love that. That's
0: <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> did you did you just raise your hand and say what you were?
2: I think I'm a two. I think I took the test after we spoke last and I because I thought I was a two and then I took it and I think it's a two. Um, but I don't I don't remember a hundred percent. Sorry. Sure. I'll yeah. take it again and send it to you guys after this oh, for no sure. worries. Yeah. the
1: test isn't always accurate either it's a great starting place um to then look at the motivations and connect to or see what motivations you actually connect with the most but you have to be like brutally honest with yourself because it's all enneagrams all motivation based not behavior based and that's the difference and some people are like well I don't do that I'm like well, but what, what's your like, what's, or I do this, I do that. Okay. Well, what's the motivation behind why you do that?
2: Yes. Not the behavior, emotion. it's like that cognitive triangle. It's like, what was the thought and the the emotion before the behavior happened? Let's talk about (laughs) that. (laughs) Yep,
1: exactly. Exactly. So there's definitely some uh, Enneagram types that are very well in touch with their emotions and they're not ashamed to share them. And then there's some who are, they like block them out. Because it was, like you said, it was never, there was like some sort of trauma in their childhood that like blocked it, said it wasn't okay yeah. to feel those. And then there's some who are just like asleep to it. Like they just, it's easier to numb, not even like they're afraid to share it, but they just don't want to feel it in general. So they just fall asleep to it. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, there's definitely different, but in that there's different levels of health Uh, In all the numbers, right? So some, some person could be an Enneagram eight and look very different than their neighbor. Who's an Enneagram eight based on one, their life experience and two, their level of health where they're at in like self-knowledge and self-acceptance and, and all of that. But one thing I did want to say is I've heard people, I've heard this off of the typology podcast with Ian Morgan Cron, who's a well-known Enneagram teacher, but I've heard him interview people. And there's certain types, like I said, that are much less in touch with their feelings. A type three will be much less in touch. A type five tends to be less in touch. Types eights tend to be less in-, in touch. But specifically like things like a three or a five, um, I know no one probably knows what that means unless you're understand the Enneagram. But anyways. We know. They... <laughs> I've heard you can, you can find it on Google. You can print it out a, an emotions wheel. It's a it's screen saver on
2: oh. my computer. Okay, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you Thanks. want to explain to people what an emotions wheel is? Cause I've heard of people printing them out and putting it
2: like on their desk. We're sharing or... this
0: on our, whenever this comes out, we're sharing the emotions wheel. Yeah, we'll so put curious. the link to it so people yeah. can get it.
2: Oh please share! It's amazing. I'll send you guys the one that I have because not only yeah. yeah, emotions, but it has also sensations in the body. So sometimes people can't identify the emotion they're feeling, but they have like a lump in their throat or chest is tight, and that like connects to. Oh so God. emotions wheel is is this oh gosh explaining <laughs> emotions wheel. It's so fun. So an emotions wheel. Imagine it as it's it's a giant circle, and you can look at it, and it's gonna help tell you what it is that you're feeling so we have Mm -hmm. our main like five or six um, emotions so anger disgust sad happy surprise and fear and that's in the inner circle and then think of the next bigger circle that comes outside of that so think of like three inner circles here we're on the second one and that second one has more in-depth words that relate to that main feeling. So anger, for example, the next circle outside of that, you would see hurt, insecure, hateful, mad, aggressive, irritated, uh, critical. Those are words that somebody may use when they're feeling anger, but they can't identify anger. They're just feeling hurt. That's Mm -hmm. actually something that's connected to anger. And then we go that next circle out and you would feel a sensation. So it could be hot or you're scowling or you're turning away or you're feel flushed all of these things connect back to anger but sometimes people can't use that word anger they're not in touch with themselves enough to know that they're feeling angry and that's just one example i mean we have all those other emotions but the emotion wheel helps you identify what that core feeling is that you're feeling um and it really puts words to whatever it is that is happening for you in your body so good
1: yeah because there's so many levels of those core like you said It's there's those core like angry, sad, happy, but then there's so much more. There's like um, feeling like shy. What will what would shy be connected to? Right? Feeling excitement, (laughs) feeling joy, feeling giddy, feeling all the and all the little things right courageous
2: so peaceful
1: outrageous, abandoned
2: there's so many different words that you hear people use and they can't quite they're like gosh I feel I feel lonely is what I hear a lot and it's yeah. like okay, well what emotion does that come with for you is that sadness is 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 that maybe a little bit of anger in there too and so we really dig into that emotion wheel and I used to have a pillow that I would have that I'd hold up for my clients with the emotions <laughs> on it now I just send them the picture because we got cool technology nowadays, but yeah. um, oh, yeah. it's the best tool ever. I'm so glad you brought it up. I feel like I could talk about emotion wheels for hours. <laughs> it's so good because
1: we have to be able to be in touch. Cause if you can come in touch with what you're feeling, there's so much disconnect in society and in people. And if you can become like, come in touch with what it is you're feeling, then the hope is you can then link it back to the story in which you're telling yourself that is causing that emotion. Right? So I'm feeling hurt. Well, why, what is that connected? It's to, or it's anger. So now what's the story I'm telling? Well, this thing happened. And now because this person or my mom did this, or my dad did this, or they didn't show up when they said they would. Now I'm starting To believe this lie that I can't trust people and I didn't know I was believing that, but because I'm believing I can't trust people because of this incident or this reoccurring incidents, now I'm starting to feel lonely and now I'm starting to feel hurt and it's making me really feel angry that that ever happened, but now I can't move past it because I don't even know that it is even bothering me.
2: Yes. And you fall into the pattern and it happens over and over and over. You recreate that pattern in multiple instances in your life. And it's all stemming from, I call what you just described a core belief. Those Mm -hmm. are things that we have been, it's a core belief that maybe has been told to us, whether it was directly or indirectly since childhood. Yep. We develop these core beliefs, these childhood wounds that, yeah, we, that yeah. we go in and 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 heal and help and treat um, because they don't heal themselves; they're just kind of scabbed over, and and they keep getting poked, and we keep falling into those patterns that you were just describing. Um, mm-hmm. And we really want to figure out the emotions that go with that core belief, disrupt the pattern, and move past it. I ideally that makes it very simple, but um, that simplifies it. But yes, yeah,
0: and yeah, we. So we're on this journey. Everyone's on this journey of trying to figure out. I mean, we're we're like we said it the best in one of our like podcasts. We all have mental health needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In mental health, uh, what is it, the two? Yeah, mental so health needs we, versus mental health issues. Or...
1: Yeah. So we interviewed a friend of ours who's a therapist. Her name's Katie Wilson. We interviewed her at the beginning of season one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and she is, I love her take. She always says, everybody has mental health needs. There's a difference between a mental illness and mental needs or mental health needs. She said, if you have a brain, which you do, if you're listening to this, <laughs> if you have a brain, you have mental health needs. It doesn't mean you have mental illness. It just means you have mental health needs. Mm-hmm. Just as you have bodily needs, yeah. you have mental health needs.
0: Yeah. Yes. And and so um, we're all in this journey of trying to figure out life constantly if you're not learning about yourself and that's why sports is really nice because you're constantly evaluating your performance and it's a it's a way to be really upfront with like what's going on inside and out that's why I love it um you know uh but people are learning how to respond uh Mm -hmm. it's an internal and external um influence because how are people going to perceive me based Mm -hmm. on who I am and how I performed and then how am I going to uh, talk to myself and receive myself or be upset with myself based on and then that's that's the art of mental health is yeah. like an athletic performance is like wow we just like we're like news reporters for mental mm-hmm. health is what yeah. I kind of like see yeah. us we're looking at people, we're evaluating people constantly and we're trying to pick up what they've set out in front yeah. and if it's good enough It's like an appetizer or it's like a smorgasbord of stuff that we can talk about, Mm -hmm. but everyone's learning and maturing on how to communicate.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah. And it's how to communicate with others and how to communicate with yourself. Right. So going back to learning the story that you're believing it's when you're in a training session or, or an athletic performance, whether it's a race or a competition or whatever, um, but like a training session is easy for me to think. Cause I think just like recently I was like, ah, I was, re- I, I don't remember what training we were doing. I was doing something and, oh, we were in Northern California and it was just a simple, simple run, but it was hot out. I had not, I hadn't run in a while, in like a week or two because of things happening. And then now we're at elevation. So I had elevation going for me, had it run. And then I had the heat. And I was like, this sucks. Like I want (laughs) to be done. And Nick was like, oh, I forgot what you said to me, but you just said, you know what? It's going to be painful no matter what. So you just tell yourself it'll be done soon. It'll be done soon. And I was like, yeah, that's actually, that's actually like a good thing for me to hear. I like, I need to just tell myself like, it'll be done. It'll be over soon. You can do it. You don't have to do it. Amazing, but you can do it and it'll be done. Yes. And I feel like just even simple things like that, like it'll be done soon or like training isn't always supposed to be joyful. Like it, it just because it hurts today or it sucks today doesn't mean it's like it's the good. best person out there, they have training sessions. It sucks for them, too. Doesn't mean like what I want to believe is I suck. No, the pain is just sucky. Doesn't mean <laughs> I suck. And I think a lot of times people when they feel the pain or when they have an experience where it's not like what they were anticipating or hoping for it to be, whether it's training or a competition result. They want to say, I suck. They want to believe the lie of like that. Like I suck. No, that just sucked. Like yes. I I don't suck. It's just, it was painful. And then that that was a bummer, but I don't suck. And we have to, we have to, like you said, disrupt that. lie. Absolutely so easy to it's like
2: retraining your brain to to not automatically blame yourself for something external we Mm -hmm. find like everybody does it just like the example you just gave and it's retraining yourself to say like yeah that training session was hard I'm not a terrible athlete because that training session was hard and it wasn't great. My interval time sucked. I don't suck. Exactly. It's like, I tell all my clients, like have a mantra that you go to when like something is really hard that you tell yourself, um, or think about a really good performance you had, or just like you said, like, it'll be done soon. Mm -hmm. It'll be done soon. It'll be done soon. Just tell yourself over and over and over again. It's kind of like affirmations. The more you say it, you're going to believe it eventually.
1: Yeah, totally. One of my best friends, I just remember her saying years and years ago, um, we were talking about doing something hard or something painful. I don't even, it was so long ago. I don't even remember the context to it, but I just remember her saying, you can do anything hard for a little bit of time. It's... And it's like, or you can endure a little bit of pain for a little bit of time or a lot of pain for a little bit of time, whatever. I don't even remember the context of it, but oftentimes I think of that, like, I can do this. I think back to that. I can do this because it's going to be over soon. Yes.
2: yes. Anybody can do it. And, right. and it's just telling yourself that. And if, again, if it helps somebody else yelling it at you to make you believe it again, that's <laughs> fine too. Yep. As we build that brain muscle to, be able to, <laughs> you to yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we all need really great training partners and coaches that'll yell that stuff at us, but building that resiliency for yourself so you don't need somebody else to tell you that is like the ideal goal.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can listen to like David Goggins, but he might uh <laughs> no, we love David Goggins, but dude, find someone that's gonna uplift you and encourage you, like a coach, a therapist, an Enneagram coach. Oh my goodness, Stevie. I like say it like that. I mean, come on, man. We love Enneagram. Um, it's so good. Kelsey, this uh this session is fire. I love it. And um I want to save some more questions on therapy for uh, a part two with you. I want to dive into some more, some more thickness. Would you
1: be down to come back on?
2: Absolutely. I can talk therapy all day. So you just (laughs) let me know.
0: (laughs) No, I would not. Like, I'm like, well, that's harsh, okay. So. Cool.
2: <laughs> I had a horrible time. of never coming back.
0: Yeah, exactly. Delete
2: my no. number. Did Don't call me. <laughs> no. no, no, no. I, whenever you guys, I'm around, um, please let me know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll try to, we'll try to do it again soon. If depending on your schedule, that way we can have maybe back-to-back weeks. Part one, part, part two.
0: Yeah, and you guys, you guys listening right now, Kelsey is active on social media she's always posting fun reels and stuff uh, on takes on mental health so we'll leave um, all of her ways to follow her on the show notes so that you can stay informed and encouraged and uh, we'll definitely let you know when we're releasing these Mm -hmm. and um, Kelsey uh, yeah uh, your love for sports and mental health is awesome you inspire us and uh, we can't wait to continue working with you um so yeah be on the lookout for this
1: how can people find you like if they're looking for a therapist or anything like that
2: yes yeah, so if you are just wanting to follow the journey you can follow my regular instagram which i'm sure they'll link it's uh, mm-hmm. Kelsey page but if you're looking for a therapist and you're in california so because therapists can only see other therapists or only people in California. Um uh-huh. you can my website which is Kelseypagetherapy.com and you can reach out to me that way. Um and I'll hopefully respond very quickly. <laughs> she's
0: she's official. She's big time y'all. So dude, you better get a hold of her. She's
2: <laughs> Thank that's you. pretty
0: rad. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kelsey.
2: Thank you. I love everything you guys are doing. Like that first message I sent, this is just an amazing thing that you guys are doing, the connection of sport and mental health. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, that's encouraging. Thank you, Kelsey. Let's uh, have you back on real soon.
2: Sounds good.